Well, good morning, family. I encourage you to take your Bibles out and turn to the Gospel of Matthew and chapter 7. That's where we will be studying this morning. It's always helpful to have the Word out in front of us. As we uh, prepare to to study together, let's go to the Lord in, in prayer and ask His blessing. Father, we do thank You for our young people. We are so blessed to have so many kids running right now down to Children's Church and, and in our youth. And we're thankful for these who have graduated this year. We thank You for those who who have been coming this year and those who will be coming in the days and years ahead. Father, we we want to encourage them. We do want them to understand how you have made them and what you have called them to do and to be as men and women of God. We want to encourage them. We want to build them in you. We want you to, to use them mightily for the kingdom of God and to bring glory to you. And so, Father, we, we pray not only for our young people, but we pray for those who are parents. We pray your grace and wisdom for them. We pray for each one who serves here with our kids. And we ask in your grace, Father, that you would provide that right person to to lead our youth ministries and, and as well a, a children's ministry director. We need both. We ask that you would raise up and send the right person our way. Well, Father, we, we count it such a great blessing and a privilege to open your word. Here we hear from you. And so we ask that uh, your word would speak clearly, and that our spiritual ears would be attentive and receptive. And Father, that we would not only hear, but we would put your word into practice. May it change us today, both for our good and for your glory. So we ask your blessing on these moments ahead, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we come here to Matthew chapter 7, we continue in a series, if, if you're new this morning or uh, first time in a while, we're going through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, probably the most marvelous sermon ever given. And it's addressed to Jesus' disciples he talks to us as his followers and, and teaches us here who we are to be and what we are to be doing as his followers. We have been with those on the hillside that day. They were amazed. They marveled at his teachings. They were astonished, it says. And likewise, it has been for us. Some of what he has called us to, to do and be has been hard some of it has been challenging and convicting, some of it encouraging, some of it just catches us by surprise. And we're nearing the end, only two more weeks after this, and we will be finished with this with this series. But I hope it has been blessing you as much as it has me as I've been studying and um, been challenged by these these words. You know, in our contemporary culture, one of the most important values that we that we hear and that we're told that our culture embraces is this value of tolerance. You hear it all the time, and I can tell you this is true because we see it all around us. We live in such peaceful, gentle, kind, and affirming days. 
Seriously, people talk all the time, constantly, about our need to be tolerant. But at least it appears to me that the more people talk about tolerance, the less tolerant our culture has become. I think part of that is because of what is regarded as tolerance in our day is tolerance means that we affirm and accept all viewpoints that are embraced by them, whoever they are, whoever it is who's speaking at the time. And we are allowed somewhat to hold any viewpoints that differ and disagree with them as long as we keep them to ourselves. And that is what I see the world around us means when they say tolerant. Whoever I am that's speaking, you agree with me and you affirm me and you keep quiet. But that's obviously not what real tolerance is. But it's important when we come to today's subject, because if you happen to speak up in our day, in our time, you happen to speak up with an opinion, especially if you speak to some moral issue and say, this is right or this is wrong, you will immediately hear people object. They will say you need to be tolerant. And they might even quote Jesus from our passage today. As he says in verse 1, Jesus says, Judge not, lest you be judged. See, there it is, they say. Jesus says, you can't just go around saying, this is wrong or this is right. You shall not judge. We wonder, is that what Jesus really means? What does he mean here? Because Jesus does say, it's right here in black and white, verse 1, judge not that you be not judged. Well, trying to understand this statement of Jesus, the first question we should ask, and the first question we need to ask is, what is meant by the word judge? That would seem like it's an easy answer, but when you go and you, you dig a little deeper, you find out it's not necessarily so easy. I was talking to someone the other day, and they said, you know, boy, it'd be easy if I knew Greek, because then you know all the answers. I'm like, no, no, not, not at all. I don't know Greek, number one. Don't think I'm a Greek scholar. That was Larry Dyer, the pastor you had before me. And when I have questions, I go to Larry Dyer. But that doesn't answer all the questions. You see, the word here for judge is very much like the English word for judge in that it has a broad spectrum of meaning. And it can mean everywhere from having discretion or discernment And that's one way to to use that word, and we use the word judge that way in English. And it can mean all the way to very narrow definitions, like when a judge pronounces a sentence and says, you are guilty, to judge is to condemn someone and say they are guilty. So it can be used in a very narrow sense that way or in a very broad sense. What I am convinced, so that makes us wonder, well, what does Jesus mean? If it can mean all these, extra, all these wide range of stuff, everything in the middle as well, what does Jesus mean here? Well, I can tell us confidently this morning, we can be certain what Jesus does not mean when he says, do not judge, or literally, stop judging. 
It's, it's much like when he said last week, don't worry. He says, stop worrying. The assumption is that you already are worrying. Stop it. Here it is. You're already judging. Stop it. We can know what he doesn't mean. He is not instructing us to never make any judgments. He is not instructing us here and commanding that we, we never use discernment. We never try to say, well, this is right or this is wrong. This is good. This is bad. This is sinful. This is not. That is not what he means. How do I know that? Well, we'll see at the end of our passage today in verse 6, so I won't go there at this moment, but we'll see there an example where Jesus calls for us to have and to use discernment. We go a little farther in this passage where we will get in a couple of weeks and we'll see in verses 13 and 14 that Jesus calls for us to discern between the the path that leads to destruction, the wide, broad path that leads to destruction and the narrow path that leads to life. And he calls for us to be able to distinguish between the two and to choose the path that leads to life. Along with that, just a few verses later, actually the next verse, verses 15 to 20, Jesus calls for us then to be able to distinguish between false prophets and true prophets, those who speak the truth of God's Word and those who do not. And He calls for us to distinguish between them, to judge between them, and to be able to label them. Those are false teachers. And to judge them by their their fruits, He says, by their actions and by their words. And so Jesus calls for us to make distinctions, to make judgments there. In Matthew 18, if you go over a little farther, Matthew 18 there, Jesus calls for us and gives instructions for us as the church to confront a brother who is living in sin. And you can go all through the Gospels and you can go all through the rest of the New Testament and find example after example where the Scriptures call for you and me as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, to be people who have and use discernment. People who discern between right and wrong and good and bad and error and truth and good and evil. And at times to identify and to confront someone who is in sin. So one thing Jesus is not doing here in this passage is He is not prohibiting all judging. He is not prohibiting all discerning and discernment and discretion. But rather, this morning we'll find He is issuing to us a warning about judgment gone amok. Being judgmental and judging badly. Unfortunately, Christians often in our world have earned a bad reputation. Christians often are critical and difficult people. Judging people, looking down their noses at people. When the world sees it, they despise Christianity. Those of us in the church have experienced that inside the church, dealing with Christian people. Some of them are very critical, judgmental, difficult people. That is what Jesus is talking about this morning. He warns us about judging badly. And in these first four verses, Jesus explains to us what judging badly looks like. 
What does bad judging look like? Verse 1 and 2. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I want to point out four ways in these first four verses that we judge badly. Four instances of what bad judging looks like. We judge badly when we forget our place in court. Notice verse 2, it says, For with the judgment you pronounce. See, the reality is that as people we have a tendency to set ourselves up in a high position and to look down and make judgments on other people. And we are quick to point out their sin. We're quick to point out their failures. We're quick to point out their shortcomings, their weaknesses, their problems. We note all of these things, but we fail to remember a very crucial reality. That is that Jesus is the ultimate judge. We have a tendency to set ourselves up as judge. We need to remember that the Bible all the way through says something different. For example, Peter in Acts chapter 10 says this. He says, and he, speaking of Jesus, commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, he says, to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Two important truths about Jesus in that statement that I want us to grasp. The first is that Jesus is the judge. God has appointed him Judge of all. We can go through it. There are many other verses in Scripture, but I chose this one because it got both aspects here that I wanted. And that is that Jesus is judge and also that Jesus is Savior. Jesus is both. With that in mind, first of all, our job description is not judge. Our job description, this verse tells us. He says, we are appointed to be what? Preachers. We are those who are to, to preach the message that everyone who believes in Jesus Christ receives forgiveness of sins through His name. That's our job. Jesus is judge. He is also Savior. And as Savior, Jesus came. He came the first time, the Bible says, John chapter 3, right after John 3.16, that we love that verse. God so loved the world, He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but the world, that the world through Him might be saved. Jesus came, when He came, He came not to condemn the world, but to provide the means for the people to be saved. But Jesus is also judge, and He will come again, and when He does, He will judge the world. And those who do not trust Him will receive judgment of eternal condemnation from Jesus Himself. Jesus is the ultimate judge. 
along with that, there's another thing that we need to recognize, and that is this, that we will be judged. Not only are we not the judge, we are part of the party that will be on trial. There is a judgment awaiting us one day. He says it right here in the text. You will be judged. Now immediately some of us go, wait a minute. Some of us maybe are confused and some maybe want to take exception. After all, Pastor, didn't you just say that Jesus came to, to pay for sin, to save the world, and that everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins and will have eternal life through Him? Those who trust in Jesus Christ, he says, will not perish, but have everlasting life. Well, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, and so I'm not going to be judged, right? And Jesus here is talking to his disciples, to his followers, those who are trusting him. But he just said they're going to be judged. Are we a little confused here? Well, the reality is, yes, we will not face judgment. Revelation chapter 19, there's the great white throne judgment. There, the dead, great and small, are raised to life and brought there to receive judgment at the great white throne by Jesus Christ himself. And those whose names are not in the book of life are sent to hell. The reality is that judgment is not for believers. As those who believe in Jesus Christ, your, your future in heaven is secure. Your sins are forgiven. But there is a judgment. The judgment we read about, for example, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where it says this, For we must all, this is the Apostle Paul writing to believers, to Christians, and he says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. There is a judgment for believers. But it is not a judgment determining whether we go to heaven or hell. That has been decided when we trusted in Jesus Christ. This judgment is written more about in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And it's, it's a judgment, you see, about not about heaven or hell, but a judgment about rewards that we receive in heaven. Look at what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13. Each one's work will become manifest for the day, that day of judgment, will disclose it because it will, will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. You see, at the judgment seat of Christ, it's a judgment of believers where all of the works, all of our life's work, as it were, is put there on the judgment. And the test is, it says, by fire. If anyone is built on the foundation of Christ, with, good, with, with wood, hay, or stubble, it burns up. But if we built on that foundation with gold and silver and precious stones, it survives the fire and there is reward for us then in heaven. I say, wow, if you've never heard that before, that's a reality. 
And it's the whole, we've talked about it numerous times and we've been going through this Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has pointed our attention towards heaven and he's always been calling our attention to there. He says, lay up treasure in heaven. Don't let your, don't lay up your treasures here. Don't, don't make the earth your treasure. It's passing away. But heaven is forever. And we can lay up treasure in heaven and that's what you want to do. And how do we do that? We said a couple of weeks ago, the simple explanation of that. If we want to lay up treasure in heaven, invest in the two things in this world which will be there. The Word of God, it says, stands forever in heaven. God's Word will never fail. Invest in God's Word and the souls of men. Those who trust Jesus Christ, who know Jesus Christ as their Savior, will be in heaven forever. Invest your life in people and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. That's how we lay up treasure in heaven. We invest in people and we invest in the Word of God. Back to our text here. Jesus is the ultimate judge, by the way, in saying that we will give account to Him for all that we do and say. And so those realities should shape how we treat others and how we judge them. When we forget who is the judge... And when we forget that we will give account, then we judge people badly. We will judge them wrongly. We will be judgmental and critical and other things. Secondly, verse 2, with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. We judge badly when we judge others harshly. The judgments that we pronounce on others, he says, will be applied to us. And the measure of our judgments will come back to us. The more critical and judgmental we are of others, the more of that we receive. This principle has already been presented in a little different form in, earlier in the Sermon on the Mount. You recall back in chapter 5, right at the very beginning, Jesus did the Beatitudes. Blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you. You remember this, he said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. See, how we treat others comes back to us. You recall chapter 6, Jesus was teaching us how to pray there in the, the Lord's Prayer. And he teaches us there in chapter 6, he says, And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Jesus, immediately following the prayer, he comments on that very thing, in case we missed it. And he said, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Again, we do not earn heaven by doing good or being good. It is a gift we receive by trusting in Christ. But there is an accountability as believers for what we do, and it affects rewards. It affects things in heaven. There is a substantial difference. It matters, he says. So Jesus is being very clear. If we are kind and merciful towards others, Or if we are judgmental and harsh and critical, that comes back to us. It affects our judgment at the judgment seat of Christ. That's the primary application of this. I do also think, though, that there is a secondary application of this in that how we treat others will often come back and be reflected 
to us in how others treat us. How we treat others is often reflected in the way they treat us. And so if people are harsh and judgmental and critical towards us, perhaps, just perhaps, it's what they are seeing from us. The reality is, and as we've talked already several times through this sermon, as those who are trusting in Jesus Christ, we have received grace and mercy from God. God has taken our sin and He's put it on Christ. He's given to us mercy. And as those who have received mercy, as those who have received grace, as those who have received the love of God, that is what we ought to be displaying. That is what we ought to be giving to those around us. They should see and hear and experience the love and grace and forgiveness and mercy of God through our treatment of them. That is why Jesus here is condemning this judgmental and harsh and critical type of judgment. I move on to verse 3. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? We judge badly when we have an eye problem. The word speck here means a dried piece of grass or a little wood splinter, a little wood shaving, or even a little piece of sawdust. Several years ago, my grandson Owen and I were messing around in my garage and I found this, I found this picture the other day and it reminded me of this. We were digging around in our garage and there in a drawer I found these old safety glasses that, that were in my dad's stuff that they're, they're about almost a hundred years old. And, and it re, I recall when I was a kid and, and we're in dad's shop and all the machines are running. You know, dad would almost always say, look, you know, put these on and not those. He had some other goggles we'd put on, but he'd always insist, you know, you got to put these things on. Still, being a kid, I always managed to find frequently ways to get something in my eye. I learned that uh, when the, when the sawdust and the wood chips are flying, that's a rather easy thing to happen. And as I looked at this picture and it reminded, took me back to my days with my dad and I kind of thought, you know, Jesus' dad was a carpenter. Jesus worked as a carpenter. He may very well have had the experience in, in the carpentry shop when the wood chips are flying, you know, and something gets in your eye. Have you been there? You get something in your eye, folks, and everything stops. It commands your attention. When it comes to judging, our eye problems work the exact opposite. When it comes to eye problems with judging, you see, um, we think I am doing just fine. Thank you very much. Yet I'm oblivious to great sin in my life. And I am able to, with laser-like focus, it seems, focus in on some little sin in your life. It is prideful self-righteousness. And Jesus paints for us this verbal picture, this ridiculous verbal picture, 
of a guy with a two-by-four stuck in his eye looking at another guy saying, I think you got something, a little speck right in your eye, right there. This is a ridiculous picture because it is just as ridiculous with you and me when we have a wrong focus that is focused on the sins and the faults and the flaws of other people and oblivious to our own. We focus on their speck, but miss the log in our eye. You know, speck is all it takes to blind us. It doesn't have to be a log. And so our aim, our focus should be to frequently examine ourselves to see if there is a need that I need to be dealing with in my life rather than me go looking to see what I can find in yours. You know, it's said that a botanist can go into a forest and what he'll find is he'll discover beautiful flowers. He'll discover useful plants. He'll discover different varieties of trees. A buzzard goes into the same forest and discovers a rotting corpse covered with maggots. They find what they're looking for. So it is typically with us. If we're looking for other people's faults, we'll find them. But Jesus is calling us here to be looking and examining ourselves. We should regularly pray along with David in Psalm 139 who says, Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there is any grievous or wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. God, look, search me out. Look inside. If there's something there that needs fixing, if there's something that's wrong, if there's something that's evil, that's sinful, let me know. Help me find it and help me get rid of it. When we're not doing that, we have an eye problem. And we will judge badly. Fourthly, verse 4. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. You know, you go to the eye doctor because you got something in your eye. You're sitting there in the examining room. <laughs> the door flings open and the, the eye doctor busts in. You know, and he comes in backwards, he turns around, he's got this thing sticking in his eye. I'll be there, I'm going to help you. <laughs> there you are. Yeah, I think you got something in your eye. That's a guy you sue for malpractice. Because he's fooling himself that he's capable and able to see what you need and take care of you. In the process of doing whatever he tries to do, he's liable to hurt you rather than help you. We'd call it malpractice, and Christians commit malpractice, spiritual malpractice, when we think we're serving someone, when we think we're serving God, when we think we're helping others by pointing out their sin while we're harboring and excusing our own sin. Jesus says, you hypocrite. Hypocrisy keeps us from effectively serving God and effectively helping others. 
unconfessed sin and unrepentant hearts are barriers that prevent us from seeing rightly, from seeing clearly, and truly helping our brothers who are in spiritual need. We judge badly when we are hypocrites. When we judge hypocritically, pointing out other sins while harboring, excusing, and nurturing our own. So you see, it's when we judge in those ways, when we forget our place in court, we forget who we are, who the real judge is, we forget that, that we're the ones who are going to have to give account like anyone else. When we, when we judge others harshly, when we are self-righteous, and when we are hypocritical, that's the type of judging that Jesus is forbidding here. That's what He's criticizing, saying, don't do that. But then Jesus, in verse 5, explains to us how to judge rightly. First, He says, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Dear believer, he says every one of us ought to be dealing with our sin. As we said earlier, we ought to be going to God and asking for help to judge ourselves. Right judgment is, begins with a judgment of ourselves. What needs to be changed in my life, Lord? Is there sin here? Once we deal with our own sin, he says, now we can see clearly. And I say that not only will we see clearly, we will be tenderized. See, have you ever gone in to see a doctor or a nurse and they come in and they are just rough? <laughs> you know, ever had that nurse who comes in and gives you the shot and it's like, ah, ah, ah. it feels like she took the needle and turned it around and twisted it and, and you know, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> that's a nurse who doesn't get many shots. <laughs> you see, once you've experience pain, you're sensitive to pain in others. Once we've experienced the pain of what sin can do in our own life, how it can hurt us and hurt our relationship with God and hurt others. And once we have dealt with that sin, we become tenderized to the pain that others are going through who are caught in sin. It tenderizes us. Not only that, it humbles us. Because we realize that you know, somebody who judges badly here, they're, oh, you, the filthy sinner over there, I can't believe that that's a rotten, dirty, filthy, gross person living like that. That's somebody who hasn't been aware of the fact that they have sinned. <laughs> when we sin, it humbles us and we realize, I'm that far away. I'm that far away from destroying Myself or others with sin. And see, the one who has dealt with their own sin can see clearly and they see tenderly and they are humbled. And then he says, they see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. You see, the second step in this is help your brother. In this illustration, judging is the problem. Judging badly is the problem. But that's not the real point. The real goal of this illustration is that 
Helping your brother is necessary. You see, if you've ever been there and you got something in your eye, it, it does. It shuts you down. And you're, ah, ah, and you need help. What a good thing it is when somebody comes alongside and says, hey, well, how can I help? You know, can I get you some water here? Let's get a, you know, hopefully you don't bring the leaf blower. Let's start blowing it out. You know, that probably isn't the right approach. Maybe, you know, let's get some water, maybe a pan of water. You can soak your eye and maybe get it out. Or maybe I can look and I can see it and I can find out what it is and where it is and help. You know, the reality is you get something in your eye, you want to get it out. You need to get it out. And what a nice thing it is when somebody comes and helps. When someone is caught in sin, they could use some help. But we're not equipped to do that. We're not ready to do that. When we, and we're not going to do that by judging badly. We're only going to be a help if all of these other things are well and we come in and we say, hey, dear brother, what can I do for you? Looks like there's a problem here. Let me help. Help your brother. It's exactly what Galatians chapter 6 says. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgressions, someone's caught in sin, there's a sin that has gripped them, they're living in sin, he says, you who are spiritual, not you hypocritical, judgmental people, (laughs) you who are really spiritual, he says, those who have been, as we've already learned here, dealt with their own sin, now they come in tenderly. Notice he says, you restore him in a spirit of gentleness. There's that gentleness. And notice what he says next. Keep watch on yourself lest you be tempted. There's humility. I'm not judging you because I sin too. I'm coming alongside because I love you and I care about you. What a difference. What a difference. Sadly, This is not all that common in much of Christianity. But this is what Jesus is calling us to here. One last thing, and that's verse 6. It says, Do not give to the dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Amen. God bless you. We're done. So you say, I think I just found a new life verse. I have no idea what it means. But I like it. (laughs) What in the world? What an odd thing for Jesus to say. Sounds kind of judgmental. It makes no sense. Until you really start digging into what he's saying. I think Jesus recognizes that after everything we've just said, some of us are just going... Wow, I have opened up my mouth way too many times. I have been very judgmental. And I'm exactly what Jesus is saying we shouldn't be doing here. So you know what? I'm just going to... My mouth. Just stop saying anything. And Jesus is wanting us to know there... And He's using an illustration here to remind us that there are legitimate times and, matter of fact, necessary times where we need to make judgments but not be judgmental We are not those who are condemning and criticizing, but we are those who are using discretion. We are those who are discerning and making right choices based on that. Here's what he says. It's an illustration. 
He said dogs here refers to wild, ferocious dogs, the kind that live in the junk heaps and eat garbage. This is not your little, uh, you know, Yorkie with painted toenails, okay, that we tend to think when we think of dogs. This is wild dogs, wild and ferocious. And then when he talks about don't take what is holy, in the Jewish mind, the immediate thought goes to the sacrifices that people would bring to be put on the altar in the temple to be offered as sacrifices to God. These are holy. And he says, you don't take what is holy, what was just offered to God as a sacrifice that normally then either goes, portion goes to the priest and a portion goes to your family who eats it as part of a worship celebration and a worship service. You don't just take that and you don't go out to the junkyard and find the junkyard dogs and say, here guys, eat up. The same dogs who would just as soon eat their own vomit as eat your, your steak. He says, that's not what you do. And you don't, he says, take what is, you don't take pearls and you don't go over to the pigsty and go and throw them to the hogs. He says the hogs are going to, those aren't edible. And he says they're going to turn around, stomp them in the dirt as they're turning back to attack you because you didn't throw out yesterday's garbage to them. What in the world does he mean by that? Here's the point. You and I have been entrusted with the greatest treasure of all. We have... God's Word. God has spoken. He has spoken not only through His written Word, but He has spoken through the living Word. God became man and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ became man to die on the cross, to pay for our sins, to rise from the dead, to give new life so that He can offer to us eternal life and heaven as a gift to any who will trust in Him. The great treasure of the gospel, Jesus calls that over in Matthew chapter 13, the pearl of great price, the good news of heaven. And you and I, have, as followers of His, are instructed to take this good news, this message to the world. You go on to the end of the book of Matthew, Matthew 28, 19, He speaks to us as His disciples and He says that we are to go and to make disciples of all nations. Mark chapter 16, that we are to preach it to all creation. And then we get to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where he says that we are his witnesses. And you get down to the end of the list, to the ends of the earth. Now, we have this greatest treasure, this greatest news, this wonderful thing that we are to take to everywhere in the world, to everyone in the world, that they may hear of this good news. And Jesus says, but. But as we are presenting the gospel, there will be some people who reject, some who will mock, some who will despise, some who will oppose the message of Jesus Christ. This incredible treasure. And Jesus is saying that there is an appropriate time to discern such people. And then to back off. To back off from sharing more of the treasures of the gospel with them until there's a change of heart. Rather to invest our time and our efforts elsewhere with those who want to hear and not give, as it were here, the dogs and the hogs further opportunity to blaspheme and profane the beauty of God's truth. That's the point. It's not saying that we don't share it with anyone, but there's a point at which there's discernment that comes into play. 
and there is opposition and there is blaspheme and there is ridicule and it's just time to say, we'll leave it there. Like the dogs, they don't value it. Like the hogs, they don't treasure it. And I'm going to leave it there. And we move on. Jesus did that. The disciples did that. The point, though, from Jesus is we need to use discretion. So don't let this discourage us from using discretion. But also, may we be very careful that we be people as His followers who do not judge badly. But rather, that we become those who as we share the truth of God's Word, we do it with gentleness, we do it with grace, we do it with love, we do it with humility as sinners who have been rescued by that very grace. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this this passage. Again, it's challenging like this whole series, this whole sermon has been uh, that Jesus preached. But it's stuff we need to hear because this is where we live. We live in a world where many people who name the name of Christ are critical and judgmental and they've given a bad taste in people's mouths for the gospel. But we also live in a world where many people do not want to hear. And we have been called to go into this world with the good news of Jesus. We need to speak truth boldly. We also need to speak with love and grace as rescued sinners. And so, Father, may that be us. May we be faithful in the mission we've given, that You've given to us until Jesus comes again. It's in His name we ask these things. Amen.